One of the writers of Psalm says very similarly, I cry out to God, yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. All night long I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed to even pray. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Suffering. We all experience it. Maybe some more intense than others, maybe some for longer seasons than others, but we all experience it. Sometimes it's because of the consequences of the decisions that we have made. Oftentimes it's the results of decisions others have made. And sometimes it's simply just the reality of living in a world where there is brokenness, pain, and death. Jesus himself said we would experience pain and suffering. John 16, said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. The Greek word used for trials and sorrows derives from the root words both for wound and a worn rut. So Jesus is saying you just won't experience a pinprick of pain that will be here one moment and gone the next, but there will be times where you will experience a steady, grinding, wearing down of pain that causes a wound rut in your soul, which some of you might be able to immediately identify with. Job, in the midst of his own deep suffering, once wrote, evil does not spring from the soil, trouble does not sprout from the earth. People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. And pain is everywhere. REM says, everybody hurts sometimes. Johnny Cash says, I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. And Dashboard Confessional's very existence as a band would not exist without pain. Movies like Little Miss Sunshine or Fight Club or Joker or Manchester by the Sea have plots based exclusively on pain. Pain is the focus of poems by writers like Emily Dickinson, Shakespeare, Sylvia Plath, and Edgar Allan Poe. Trillions of dollars every single year around the globe go, to, go towards health insurance, medical bills, professional therapy, Medicaid, Medicare, and prescription medication, all to help people deal with and live with various kinds of pain. We as a species are very familiar with pain and suffering. Every single one of us has, is, or will experience pain at some point in our lives. And according to Jesus, this is a good sign because it means we're both alive and on the planet Earth. But we all know that. The question we often ask is not, is there pain? Because we usually can, from personal experience, say yes. I mean, sure, sometimes we might drop to our knees, raise our hands to the sky, and scream, why? But for the most part, we have a general understanding that pain and suffering exist, that there will be moments, sometimes seasons, where things will not go perfectly the way that we would like them to go. But when they happen, we oftentimes have another question. And to answer that question, I want to start by teaching you a game that I think I invented. 
I could be wrong. I might be plagiarizing. If you invented it, forgive me. If you're watching online, please don't sue me. Um, but there's a, there's a number of games uh, that you can play with Google. Uh, that's a lot of fun. One of the, this isn't it, but one of the games I learned about a long time ago is if you're on a road trip, you take turns coming up with two different words to see who can get the least amount of Google results by combining those two words. Super fun, and it's really hard, because you think like, oh, chopsticks and MacGyver, and it's like three trillion results. And then you're like, all right, let's go different. Let's go Saturn and Sock, and then there's like four trillion. You're like, what are these results? And then you kind of fall into a wormhole. So that's one game. The game that I think I invented, I could be wrong, but I think I invented is, uh, and I'll give you some examples, is you start a sentence in the Google search, and then you have to guess what you think the top like one, two, or three results are. So if you've played this, you have me to thank, by the way. That was my idea. So I want to show you just a couple to give you an example, and I'll have you, I'm going to have you turn to your neighbor, even if you're watching online, uh, turn to your neighbor or your cat, I don't know if you're alone, uh, and, and see if you can try to guess the number one answer. So here's the first one. Uh, first one is, what is the most... Dot, dot, dot. Turn, turn to your neighbor. What do you think the most common question on Google is? What is the most? Go ahead, quickly. All right. I'm going to give you the top three. Top three in Google. What is the most common blood type? Oh, you all failed. Okay. Uh, most expensive car in the world and most viewed video on YouTube. Second one. How do I? Oh, man. Okay, turn to your neighbor. Quick. Quick. Guess what you think the number one. How do I? Here are the top five answers. How do I register to vote? This one made me laugh. How do I get home? <laughs> Google's like, I don't know, where do you live? Google knows where you live, Google knows. How do I get home, how do I get a passport? How do I take a screenshot? This one made me laugh. How do I contact the Lion Energy? <laughs> the Lion, you gotta make it a little more clear. We're going to the Googles to be like, who do I talk to? And they're like, call this number. Just kidding, that's a Domino's Pizza, okay. Uh, another one, why is? Big questions. Turn to your neighbor. What do you think, number one? You're going to see a theme here with these top five answers. There's a couple that I'm like, okay. The number one is, why is the sky blue? But then, hang on, why is my poop green? And then we're like, that was an anomaly, right? Why is my eye twitching? Why is gas so expensive? Why is my poop black? What's going on with our poop colors? How many of you thought, when you're like, we're talking about suffering, how many thought we were going to talk about poop twice? None of you. Uh, a couple more. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is the last one. Here's the last one. Now that we, we got to go back to scripture after we talk about poop. Uh, here's the last one. Why does God, and I'm not even going to have you guess because you're all going to probably guess the right answer. Here are the top 10 answers. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God hate me? Why does God allow evil? Why does God love us? Why does God love me? Why does God test us? Why does God pen send people to hell? Why does God hate me so much? Why does God isolate you? These are the top questions asked around the globe on the Googles when we start with the question, why does God? It's arguably the most frequently asked question about God in human history. The ironic thing about pain and suffering is that it is historically the number one, people, number one reason people reject and run away from or don't believe in God, while also being the number one reason people run to God or a higher power. When we experience pain that is more than we can handle, 
we're naturally inclined to seek something or someone that's bigger than ourselves, that's bigger than our pain. Or we might simply reject that thing or someone on the basis that if they were bigger than us, they wouldn't even allow this kind of pain to happen in our lives. Last week, we talked about how God speaks to us, and in doing so, we had to redefine the word speak. Instead of filling in the blank of how we expect God to speak to us, we had to fill it in in how God actually speaks to people. And this week, we need another redefinition. Today, we need to redefine the word suffering. So whatever uh, 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 definition, whatever connotation you had with suffering that naturally fills in the blank in your mind, I want you to set it aside just for the next few minutes while we redefine suffering. The main reason we have to redefine what suffering is in our minds is because in our world, uh, suffering in our culture has become something that's been defined as the thing we must avoid at all costs. That the most important thing is avoiding any kind of discomfort, any kind of pain, let alone any kind of suffering. You can make an argument that every single product, new piece of technology, and modern advancement is all meant to make our lives a little bit easier. It's all designed so that we don't have to live with dandruff. We don't have to miss any second of the key game in the fourth quarter. We don't have to wait any longer than necessary for food or information or assistance TVs are larger and clearer, couches are more comfortable and can shift into any configuration you can think of, weather is predicted down to the minute, and the seats in our vehicles can warm our butts in winter and cool them in summer. (laughs) Poop and butts, it's a great sermon so far, right? Yeah. And none of these are necessarily bad. I'm not saying these comforts are bad, but they do start to ingrain this idea in our minds that any element of pain or discomfort is not only avoidable, but it should be avoided. That it's not the way that we were meant to live. The way we were meant to live is total comfort, instant access, instant gratification, no matter the cost. And anything outside of that is not the way it's supposed to be. And yet, I'll challenge you on this. When we think about pain or suffering from a healthier perspective, an objective perspective, I would argue we would see something different. I think we would see the truth that suffering is a part of a healthy life. Pain is a part of a healthy life, of a well-rounded person. I would say it's necessary. If we're thinking from a healthily objective perspective, we would all have to admit that the greatest things come from adversity and pain and even suffering. Nobody would look at a person who has avoided any element of pain or discomfort their entire life and say that they're a healthy, well-rounded person. We typically say that they're spoiled, entitled, and weak, right? Why? Because they've never had to learn anything. They've never experienced anything. They've never had to overcome anything. They've never learned to rely on the Lord, to rely on the people in their lives. They haven't learned how to choose joy in the midst of pain or what it looks like to walk through hardship with hope. And this is a fact we see all around us. As much as we might not want to admit it, we want to say, no, comfort and relaxation, that's the goal. We see this all around us. The strongest relationships are the ones who have gone through really difficult times where they've cried together, relied on each other, and had to have really difficult conversations. The healthiest bodies are the ones whose immune systems have had to fight off sickness. The strongest bodies are the ones who have spent time tearing their own muscle fibers in order to rebuild them stronger. The stories that inspire us the most are the ones of students and women and men who have gone through hardships few of us can imagine, yet continue to live with hope and joy and peace and strength through it and on the other side. And throughout history, 
This life of living in fear of pain is one that's actually reserved for nations and peoples of wealth and privileges. Specifically looking in the first century during the time of Jesus, Rome was a nation obsessed with luxury and comfort and extravagance. Modern day America has an unbelievable amount in common with the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago than any other nation in history. But the Jewish people live a very different life, have a very different perspective because they had lived a life as a people where they had gone through some things. The Jewish people, they got some city miles on them. (laughs) Throughout their history, they had gone through 400 years of slavery, decades of living in a harsh desert climate with only the miracles of God to sustain them, generations of not having a land or any place to call home, Multiple military defeats, their entire nation being divided straight down the middle, displacement from their homeland, and being conquered by other nations time and time again, including by Rome, who ruled over them at the time when this guy Jesus came along, and he taught that earthly comfort and avoidance of pain was not actually the best way to live our lives. And from a Jewish perspective, historically, and during the time of Jesus, a Jewish perspective, pain and suffering and death were not looked at with fear and the need to avoid. Fear of death and avoidance of pain and suffering were not part of Jewish thought in the first century. As hard as we work to avoid these things, or even avoid talking about these things, to a Jew, there was zero fear of living a life that had pain and fear of death. For a Jew, pain was a natural part of life. In fact, it was a key to growth and becoming a better person. Death was not something to be feared. It was a natural part of what it meant to live. And more importantly, death was a beautiful transition from life on earth into the presence of Jehovah God. Death, pain, suffering was not feared. And if I'm being honest, that's the kind of perspective I would like to live my life with. That I don't live every second, every moment in fear that something's going to make me uncomfortable, that something's going to hurt, in fear of death, which I know is inevitable. And as the Jews look, it's just a simple, a natural transition into the full presence of God, which is what we want here on earth anyway. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Michael de Montaigne, who's a French Renaissance philosopher, said, a man who fears suffering is already suffering from what he fears. Isn't that great? There are so many things in our daily lives that are not always pleasant, and yet somehow deep down we understand they lead to something better. As much as we might might want to avoid them, we know that deep down they're for our betterment. School. Nobody loves going to school, and if you do, I'm jealous. Good for you. (laughs) But we understand education leads to better things. It leads to knowledge and passion and careers and making money. Paying taxes. Nobody likes paying taxes. But deep down, we understand, you know, we'll get arrested if we don't. But also, (laughs) that leads to better things. It's not not a political statement, but paying taxes, you know, paved roads and our kids' education and medical needs for those who can't take care of themselves. We know that deep down. Getting our oil changed. I had to do that this past week, and the guy gave me the bill, and I was like, are you sure this isn't my zip code? Like, we don't like car maintenance, but we understand, like, we have to do it so the car runs smoother, so it lasts longer. These are things that are not pleasant, and yet we do them because deep down we understand there's something better on the other side. And the same is true with our own personal pain and suffering. It's not always enjoyable, 
but it oftentimes, hopefully, always leads to something better. And this is something some of the greatest minds in history understand. I want to read you a whole bunch of quotes from people throughout history because they capture this idea that pain and suffering is not something to be feared or avoided. In fact, it's something to be embraced because of the good that it's going to do. Helen Keller, talk about facing adversity, said, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition-inspired, and success achieved. Khalil Gibran said, Out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. Winston Churchill, We shall draw from the heart of suffering itself the means of inspiration and survival. Chuck Palnick An author said, it's so hard to forget pain, but it's even harder to remember sweetness. We have no scar to show for happiness. We learn so little from peace. Marcel Proust, we are healed from suffering only by experiencing it to the full. C.S. Lewis, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And then an unknown quote says, some people think that to be strong is to never feel pain. In reality, the strongest people are the ones who feel it, understand it, and accept it. And as brilliant and wise as these quotes are, this is something that the Lord has been saying since the very beginning. This is the message that God teaches us, that it's not about avoiding pain. It's about embracing it, understanding it, and walking with him through it. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, we can rejoice, rejoice, (laughs) when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Just mathematical equation right there. Problems and trials equals God's love. If you want to trace that down. James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, small, big, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Once again, rejoice joy in suffering and pain. For we know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. One of the most important things we need to understand about suffering is that there is a direct correlation between the depth that we suffer and the height of our potential growth. That's why I brought my little whiteboard out here awkwardly earlier. Is because So here, here's just uh, like the median of life. The deeper our suffering goes, let's write suffering here. I was homeschooled, so if I spell it wrong, that's why. And then here we're going to write growth. Okay, so there's growth and suffering. The deeper our suffering gro- uh, goes, the higher our potential for growth goes. Now, a couple things I want to say about this, and then, you know, this might come up. The nice thing about when our suffering lessens, our growth does not have to lessen. And if it goes a little bit deeper, there's potential right here. So yeah, a couple things I want to say about that. First of all, this is the potential for growth. 
Because just because we suffer does not mean we're naturally going to grow. We grow when we embrace it, when we understand it, when we walk with God through it, when we seek other people's counsel and advice and support. Then we have the potential for our endurance, our character, our faith, all to grow, depending on how deep our suffering is. And as I said, the second thing I want to say is this does not lessen even when our lives get easier. The way that the Lord grows us and teaches us is say, hey, in suffering, I want to grow you and mature you and deepen your faith and expand who you are. And then I'm going to give you seasons of rest. I'm going to give you moments of rest and seasons of joy because it's not all going to be terrible. You know, there's peaks and valleys. But even in those peaks, the character that I developed in you is going to stay the exact same because I might want to use your faith, use your character to minister to people who are down here. So those of you who have ever suffered need to understand there's a direct correlation to the height of your development that God can do in your life. It's not just grit your teeth and get through it. It's not just, hey, sorry about this. This is going to be really terrible for a while. Uh, Just uh, nothing I can do. Just going to have to embrace it. No, no, no. God's like, in the depth of your suffering, that's how high the potential is for what I want to grow in you. Your character, your faith, this relationship, your future, your passion, your potential, whatever the case may be. Suffering is not just for suffering's sake. It is so God can do something in you that he could not do any other way. Here's a prime example. Some of you know this account in Scripture. Uh, when Peter walked on the water to Jesus. And I'm going to read you the moment that this happens, that Jesus comes out to his disciples during a storm. They think he's a ghost. Of course, I mean, any of us would. But then they realize it's Jesus. Um, and Matthew 14 says, Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, Tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. So that's the first moment, understand, he's walking on water. He's surfing without a surfboard. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. He said, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Now, here's what I want to point out about this passage. When Jesus let Peter sink, he didn't do it as a punishment. He did it to teach him the power of faith. How much do you think Peter's faith grew because he experienced a moment of relying on himself rather than on Jesus? Peter got to firsthand go through the reality of what life is like relying on our own power, our own will, our own desire versus the power and the will of our Heavenly Father. Is everything okay? It's all right. Do we need some ushers to come help? Are you all right? Okay, good. Are you Okay. Uh, uh, let's just pray. I'm not sure what's going on there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, you know all you are present in all. Uh, Lord, I don't know what the situation here is, Lord, but I pray for your presence. Lord, your healing in Jesus' name. God, wisdom, uh, discernment, speed for any medical attention uh, that might be needed. God, we know you are here and you're working and you're present. And so our prayers, Lord, even in the rest of the time we have here, uh, will remain with the people that left, the person that might uh, need the most help, and pray for your presence and your power to intervene in miraculous, powerful, obvious ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Jesus let Peter sink. And I, you know, so I feel like I've seen it in cartoons where like Peter starts to slowly sink. You know what I'm saying? Like the water comes up here and Jesus is like, I got you. According to the words of scripture, he started to sink, which would indicate water above his head. 
So he was like drowning. And then Jesus came over and lifted him out. And again, this wasn't Jesus being cruel. This wasn't punishment to Peter. This was Jesus teaching him the unbelievable value of faith, even through something less than perfect, less than enjoyable. And that's why I believe Jesus let Peter sink for the moment. Didn't let him die. He rescued him, but he let him sink for a moment. He experienced this deep moment of uncertainty and fear and pain so that God could grow his faith. And Peter was one of the most passionate, faith-filled disciples and apostles in Scripture. And this is something, this idea of suffering being for our better good, this is something that's unique to our God. Prior to Christianity, prior to faith in Jehovah, suffering was viewed uh, in one of two ways. It was either because God was indifferent or not there, or that God was angry and punishing his people. Both of these concepts were just ingrained in the human race, that any kind of negativity, any kind of like pain, discomfort, things not going our way, were because God didn't care, or God cared so much that he was punishing us. And yet, along comes our God, who says his desire is to bless us and lead us, And a quote I read said, the potency of the God of Christianity no longer rested on that deity's ability to rescue his followers from misfortune. Because if the existence and the power and the character of God rested on whether he rescued us from existence, that would not be a God we would like to follow. And yet God says, no, no, I'm not here to just take you out of tough situations. I'm here to walk through them with you for your betterment. So, we've established the value of suffering, redefined what it means in our daily lives, but the question oftentimes still remains, where is God in our suffering? Well, I hope you have deduced this. If God tells us that we will experience pain and suffering, it makes that very, very clear. God says that this pain is how he will shape us into the very people he created us to be, then the reality is that when we are suffering, God could not be closer. Psalm 34, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles, maybe not in the way we want, maybe not in the time we want, rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Doesn't say he fixes their heart. But he's close. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Another Psalm 23.4. And this one's important because Psalm 23, man, that's the famous one. That's the one on all the crochet things in your grandma's apartment, like house, you know. Everybody knows Psalm 23. And we focus on the pretty parts, like the rolling green pastures of hills and the, pretty, you know, the perfectly white sheep that isn't dirty at all and the shepherd and, you know, hand feeding, uh, uh, you know, the thing that you got at the petting zoo with the quarter to the sheep. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just we picture this nice thing. But here's this line. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, that's like a horror ride at Disney, I think. <laughs> I will fear no evil. And this next line is so important. I will fear no evil, not because, oh, I see the light. It's almost over. Oh, God's going to reach down and lift me up out of this instantly. That's, that's why I'm not afraid. I'm, I, stepped, I put my foot in the valley, but Lord pulled me right out. Here's why I'm not afraid, because you are with me in the valley of the shadow of death. 
Isaiah 43, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, oh, you ever been in a river of difficulty? Just keeps coming, just keeps coming, just keeps coming. You will not drown. Peter didn't drown. You will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. You might be burned. You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Why? Because God is with us. Um, I've been a teaching pastor for uh, over 15 years. And this concept of pain and suffering I've talked about many times, a number of times. Uh, And I've understood through uh, my study of Scripture, through my relationship with the Lord, through people's stories and friends and family, that all these things are true, that God is uh, present, that God works through pain and suffering. And so I've taught this truth uh, for many, many years, along with being a Chicago fan. There's all the suffering there, too. Uh, John was right. Um, so I've taught this for many, many years, and I 100% meant it. Like, I believed it from the bottom of my heart, again, based on the truth of Scripture, based on uh, so much of what I've learned. Uh, and then three years ago, I got to experience it. Uh, I got to experience the kind of pain uh, and suffering that always happens to someone else. <laughs> After a decade of teaching these truths, the relationship between pain and God and the growth that he wants to do with me, Uh, My daughter, who was seven at the time, as many of you know, suffered a traumatic brain injury, and life has never been the same since. So many of you, many, many, many of you have walked through my journey of pain with myself and Lindsay and our family through, uh, you know, personal relationship or through social media or conversations we've had here, and all of it has meant so, so much to us. All of the prayers, all the dreams, all the, I don't know what to say, but here's a hug. Those are wonderful, Uh, unless you're wearing too much perfume, then I just smell like you the rest of the day. It's weird. Um, But no, all of it has meant so, so much to me. Um, But I can say without a doubt, a couple things. I can say uh, through the last three years, I've experienced depths of suffering I uh, never thought I would have to, depths of um, uh, pain, doubt, fear, uncertainty, uh, you fill in the blank. The other thing I can say is all of the truths that I preached before this happened are still true. Having walked through it and still walking through it, you know, every single day, I can still, in the midst of deep, deep pain, tell you from my experience, without a doubt, that God is still present, God is still good, and that God is always, always working. I can't give you the magical button or the magical pill to take to say, hey, you know, take this in case of pain, take this in case of suffering, because once it happens, you're going to need to, to do this. All I can tell you is my own experience, which is I knew this and I believed it before I experienced pain, and I knew this and believed it during the deepest journey of pain in my life. And even in that dark, painful, terrifying valley of the shadow of death, literally, in the case of my daughter, in many times, God was with me. He didn't yank me out of the pain right away. But I knew he was close. He cried every tear that I cried. He helped us laugh and experience joy somehow, even in the midst of that. He taught me what it looked like to hold on to hope in the midst of no hope. 
And so if you want to know where God is in the midst of your suffering, no matter where it might fall on an objective scale, I don't think any suffering is like less or more than. Some of us experience for longer. Some it's like a, quote, minor thing. Some it's a major thing. Pain is pain, man. Suffering is suffering. And in it all, God is right there. Not just around you, with you, and in you, close to you. doesn't mean it won't hurt. It uh, doesn't mean you won't experience levels of pain or doubt or uncertainty, all of which I encourage you to embrace and express fully. Like God is not about denial. God is not about, you know, pretend it's better than it should be or put on a good face, man. He's about honesty. And I got real honest with him a number of times and continue to do so. So I'm not saying reject that or ignore it or pretend everything is okay. But also know God is present, God is good, and he's doing something. Not that he caused your pain, not that he initiated it, but he can use it for something better in the future, as hard as that might be to picture in the moment. Something better in the future. And part of the comfort we can take in our pain, in our suffering, is that Jesus himself knows suffering better than anyone. Better than any of us. Because the truest suffering was done by Jesus himself, because of something he did not deserve, that he was beaten, tortured, abandoned, killed, and experienced separation from God, which is the best definition of hell out there that there is, and he deserved none of it. He took on every single sin and evil and darkness of every single human being that has, does, or will exist to save us from experiencing true pain and suffering, true hell, which is separation from God, the source of life and light and our heavenly Father. That is suffering, going through something like that, undeservedly so. And so if you've ever wondered, does Jesus know what I'm going through? Does he know what I've experienced? 100% he does. Every single ounce of pain he understands. In 1 Peter it says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. So here's how we're going to end uh, our time this morning is we're going to uh, partake in communion together. To, uh, when Jesus initiated communion, he said, whatever you do this, remember. You know, he didn't say feel guilty. He didn't say, uh, <laughs> you know, come crawling to me. He didn't say just grit your teeth. He said, just remember what I've done for you. So our team uh, is going to pass out uh, our communion cups. Are they under your chair? You all have them? Oh, yeah, when you came in. Great. I, I know what's going on. Cool. <laughs> all right, great. You all got them when you came in. A uh, little bit different than last time. There's the wafer on one side, the, the um, juice on the other side. And I, I'm going to do a little bit different. Here's what I would love to do is uh, just give us all a moment. <laughs> uh, just give you all a, a, a moment. I know pain is something, suffering is something we all have or will go through, and many of you watching online or here in person might be in the very the heart of it right now. You are just smack dab in the thick of it right now. And I hope that the words of the Lord have encouraged you, at least in some way, to know that your pain and suffering is not in vain. Maybe the thing that you needed to hear this morning is it's not because God's mad at you. Any, any element of God being mad at what you have done, he already took that out on his own son. He's got nothing left for you. 
Yes, we live in pain. Yes, we live in brokenness. Again, sometimes it's our decisions, sometimes it's the decisions of others, and sometimes it's just the world that we live in. But God is present, and he is good, and he is working. And so as you take this just next two minutes to experience communion in your own time with the Lord, maybe that's just the reminder you need. Because of the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Christ, God is present, God is good, and he's working. God is present, God is good, and he's working. And even if you don't feel that, know it. So let's take a few moments and experience communion, and then I'll close our time in just a moment. I, I, I thought I was going to close our time in prayer, but I, I think I'm just going to close and read. I just want to read one scripture, short, short scripture. In fact, I read part of it at the very beginning of the teaching. Uh, it's when Jesus said, you're going to have many trials, many sorrows, but I want to read what he said right before that and what he said right after that. Because this is the, the bookend of our pain and suffering that we need to remember. Jesus was clear we're going to experience it. He said, I'm going to be with you in it, but this is how he, he, he bookended it. John 16, 33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because, because I have overcome the world. He bookends our pain with peace and power. That even through our many trials and many sorrows, we can have peace in him and take heart because he has overcome the world. And Overcoming the world includes whatever your pain is. He's overcome it. Actually, I'm going to pray. Never mind. I, I lied. I'm going to pray. All right, Heavenly Father. <laughs> Lord, there's uh, too much I can think of to say thank you for. So, uh, Father, in this moment, I uh, just want to ask that your spirit... would reveal to us a little bit of what you're doing in our pain. Lord, I know you're not one to give us the entire map to the finished destination because there's really not a finished destination. But Lord, I, I pray that uh, you would give our spirits uh, maybe just a dose of peace and comfort, maybe just confidence in the knowledge that you are present, that you are good, and that you are working in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our deep, deep pain. And Lord, in that pain, God, we would have hope. We would choose joy. Not denial, but joy. God, that we would experience your peace that according to your word is not going to make sense. And experiencing peace and pain at the same time doesn't make sense. And yet through you, it's very possible. God, I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are with us. You promise never to leave us, never to forsake us, even when we don't believe you're there, even when we're throwing the tantrum, even when we need to be honest and express a couple things. God, you are still there and never going to leave. We might turn our back, but you never will. Lord, thank you for your presence in this room. And Lord, once again, pray for uh, those who had to step out earlier. God, you continue to uh, be in that situation uh, and lead us how to pray uh, for those that needed to step out. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.